how many of you are excited to be in the presence of the Lord together today? On this day? Yeah. I know some of you last night were sitting there yelling at your TV and jumping up and down and shouting and carrying on. You can do that in the house of God. He's way more deserving than any football team, right? I want to bring a message to you this morning that I've entitled, Even the Crumbs. Even the Crumbs. Last Sunday I spoke to you about leftovers and how Jesus was into leftovers. Not just a southern idea. We uncovered some things by looking into the miracles of the feeding of the multitudes. And in that message, I spoke of how the leftovers from the miracles represented the grace of God being either sufficient in a situation or more than enough. So I'd like to build a little more on that concept today by visiting another great story. I'm right on the verge of a ring. Are you picking that up back there? Okay. All right. I want to build a little bit more on the concept today by visiting another great story in the gospel that reveals even crumbs that fall from the master's table bring blessing. Yes. And it's told in both Matthew and Mark, so I want to read both of those instances in the gospel. So if you'll go to Matthew chapter 15, and we'll begin in verse 21 there. It says that, Then Jesus went out from there, and he departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Now think about that. This is a Gentile woman knowing to address Jesus as O Lord, son of David. Keep that in your mind, okay? My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her, verse 23, not a word. Mm. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now Mark looks at this just a slightly bit differently. If you look at Mark chapter 7, verses 24 is where we begin. Verse 24. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the little children be, let the children be filled first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. These both accounts are highly similar in the way they describe it. Just get, one gets a little different detail than the other. It's not a contradiction. It's a confirmation. It's just a difference in perspective. And I'm glad the Holy Spirit allows the writers to maintain their perspectives. If you, if you happen up on the scene of an accident, when the police, police will tell you, they can have five eyewitnesses to a wreck that just occurred and get five different perspectives on what just happened. It's incredible. How that works. <clears throat> but here we find once again Jesus is attempting to get away from a moment from the crowds. And so he enters a house inconspicuously, or so he thinks. But he's followed by a non-Jewish woman whose daughter's demon-possessed. And this non-Jewish woman is relentless too. I mean, she's not given up. In both accounts, we find that. Behaviors and statements were made that could have threatened to discourage this woman and send her away. 
But this woman knew something that many of the Jews apparently did not know. She knew something regarding the compassion, the goodness, the virtue of both Jesus and the Father. She knew something that would not allow her to be discouraged by what she was witnessing in behavior or hearing in word. Now, she also knew of his authority. And she was willing to fall at his feet because of it. She persisted when he gave her the silent treatment. Think about it. She knew something about God. She knew something about Jesus that kept her there. Even though he was silent at one point. Even though she probably overheard the conversation of the disciples with Jesus. And even though he said what he did to her, she persisted and fell at his feet and continued to ask. Have you ever gone to Jesus for something and felt like you were being given the silent treatment in that moment? See, it might be a test of your own faith as opposed to his willingness to listen or act on your behalf. Some things take place in our journey to reveal to us where we're at. Not where he's at. Where we're at. He knows where he's at. He also knows where you're at. The only problem is that sometimes we don't know where we're at. Are you with me? Yes. Now I wonder if that woman did hear his disciples urging him to send her away. Think about that. If she did, that means she persevered through both his silent treatment and their, reje their wholesale rejection of the birth. That was a wholesale rejection. That'd be like somebody coming in the doors and everybody saying, oh, no, 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 no. Right. I wonder how that would feel. And Jesus seemed to confirm the disciples' urge to send her away when he said to them, he was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's trying to make something clear here. But with purpose. Now here's where we need to ask something. Why did he say that to the disciples, but then begin responding to the woman? Why? If he was just affirming their insistence she be sent away, why would he then turn after the silent treatment and answering their question, or answering their urging, to respond to the woman? Why wouldn't he not even look her way? You ever try to get some customer service somewhere? And the person you need to get their attention won't even look at you? What do you feel like in that moment? They don't want to deal with me, right? They've got no interest in what i got going on. They don't want to help me in any way. That's the body language interpretation. Am I correct? Yes. That's what this woman is dealing with. But see, Jesus did something. He answered the disciples, but then he turns and he answers the woman. When she comes and falls at his feet, he begins to speak to her. Now, was he trying to affirm the attitude of rejection in his disciples when he responded to them? Or was he setting them up for something he knew was about to happen? Remember who we're talking about here. This is the one who would not turn any sinner away. Right? Maybe he's trying to say something. Maybe this is just a little tidbit the Holy Spirit's trying to give these disciples about Gentile inclusion. And why? See, the way Jesus responds to the woman still gives off the appearance that he might be rejecting her in tandem with his disciples. Look at what he said to her. It's not right that the food for the children be given to the little dogs. After he responds to the urging of the disciples, the woman comes near and falls at his feet, and Jesus responds to the woman as she's pleading for him to set her daughter free with the kind of answer you don't want to hear. And in both accounts, the wording is the same. It's not good to take the children's bread. Throw it to the little dogs. 
You've just been rejected by the disciples. You've just been rejected by the silence of Jesus. And now you're at His feet. You're begging like a dog. And you're being told a very rejecting kind of statement. But is Jesus really trying to reject it? Here's where you have to decide what your view of Jesus really is. See, do you believe that he was attempting to insult this woman with malicious intent in order to make her go away? Was he in league with his disciples on rejecting her? And this is the best way to get it done because of her persistence? Or do you believe that Jesus was setting her and generations to come, including us today, up for something amazing? Which do you believe? Because whatever you believe about Jesus affects the way you think about Him in your moment and in your situation. See, if you don't get right the way you're supposed to see Jesus in this story, then He might be rejecting you in one of your dire situations. In one of the silent moments, it's just to tell you, get off my back and leave me alone about this. Come on. I'm talking to somebody. Now, I love her response. Because it goes even further than what we witnessed in the two miracles of the feeding of the multitudes. You see, we're not dealing with leftovers here. What we're dealing with in this story is merely crumbs. Crumbs. Her response reveals just how much she grasped who he is and believes that both God and Jesus are good compassionate, and will favor her even though she's approaching him ill-timed. She believes that even a Gentile woman can receive from the favor of God because she believes something rightly about God. See, if you don't believe rightly about God, you can't even begin to approach him for the thing you need the most because you're expecting rejection. Yes. That's good. I would go into it, but it'd take too long. But that's really an orphan spirit, an orphan attitude. Jesus commends this woman's faith. Because of what she said, Jesus sent her on her way with the promise her daughter had been made whole. And when she got home, she found her daughter set free just like Jesus said. Now, Jesus did not have to go to the woman's house, meet the daughter, or lay hands on her. In this moment, Jesus is so impressed with the faith of this non-Jewish woman regarding him, her daughter is delivered from a distance. Now, you remember when Chad Gonzalez was here, he's talking about the Jesus in you and how you don't have to have hands laid on you every time you turn around. That there's something in you so powerful, so alive, so amazing, so wonderful, so available at all times if you learn how to tap into who is alive in you, tap into the divine life residing within you. There's a lot you can have and experience in this life right now without anybody laying hands on you at all. That's what this woman got. Her daughter was set free when Jesus spoke to the mom who's not anywhere near the house. Why? Because in the spirit, there's no time and space. That's why you can send a text. And somebody can get healed. You can make a phone call. And somebody can get healed. Now if you're doing that because of the convenience of it. Because you don't want to make any kind of sacrifice. That ain't going to work. Okay. That's not in his name. Which by the way the next message I'll probably bring. When I get the next chance. Is in my name. There's a lot of people who don't understand what that is. 
But here is this woman. She very bravely and very boldly will not give up because she's become convinced. How does she get convinced of this as a Gentile woman when Jesus is ministering to the Jews there in Jerusalem? Did she sneak into a meeting? Is she just hearing reports and she just believes the reports? Whose report will you believe? We're all believing somebody's report. What report are you listening to? Concerning your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, whose report are you listening to? Is He a God out for retribution? Is He just looking to make you pay for all your wrongdoing? Especially since you've come to know Him? Is that your Jesus? If it is, you got it from somewhere. Come on. Are you in love with the Jesus who has brought you into the favor of the Father? In an uninterrupted, unhindered way, brought you into the favor of the Father. Who now cares for you. The same God, when a sparrow falls to the ground, it doesn't escape His notice. When you lose a hair off your hair, and I've lost many. He keeps up with it. He still knows the number of hairs on your head. <laughs> I'm waiting down until I get to a small patch and then I'm going to compete and try to keep up. That's a number I can count to. Come on, man. That's how attentive the Father is. Do you understand that when Jesus showed up, the, the perspective of who God was was so skewed, even amongst those on the earth who were supposed to carry or carry the truth concerning Him, the perspective, the information had become greatly skewed. You remember the tower fell on some people and the disciples asked, why were they being punished? Somebody came up as they were blind from birth. Whose sin is it that caused this? That was their running perspective. If there was things going wrong in your life, it's because somewhere in your life, you're not doing the right thing before God and you're being punished for it. That's how they saw everything. And so here comes Jesus. And not only is he hanging out with publicans and sinners, the power of God, the virtue of the divine is going out from him and healing their bodies and delivering them from demonic spirits and providing miracles on their behalf. Yes. And the religious elite sees this as the, the, the dispensing of something that's not supposed to happen because God is holy and they're not. And it sets them in their hearts against Jesus even to the point that they would come and say He's doing this by the power of Beelzebub. That's how entrenched their religious ideology had become within their heart and mind they had gotten so convinced they so knew God in the right way when in fact it was a wrong way that when Jesus shows up demonstrating what the Father is truly like, just how gracious and good and kind and merciful He desires to be, they thought that was the devil. Think about that. What if this woman had been like one of those Israelites in the wilderness after Egypt? She might have been convinced it was most unlikely Jesus would do anything at all. 
But for her daughter's sake, maybe she would still give it a go. Sort of like buying a lotto ticket. At least it's worth a try. The worst it could say is no. That's not faith. That wouldn't be faith. But as soon as the disciples rejected her, if that were the case, she's thinking that way. And Jesus had responded the way he did to their urging. She would have turned away and gone home to the sad, same situation. Thank God she believed something different about the character of God and regarding who Jesus was. Remember, she called him Lord. Here is a Gentile woman going to a Jewish Savior because at that point in time that's what he was going to was the Jews. Gentile woman going to a Jewish Savior, Messiah. Out of time, out of sequence, out of... And asking... For something that right now only the Jews have been receiving. And not only that, but she comes and she calls him Lord. And falls at his feet. Now you have to understand something about the term Lord. For that day and time, the term Lord is not like we, you know, Jesus wasn't a Lord like somebody in England during medieval times or even during present day times. This is not just a, a term of some kind of a middle range acknowledgement like sir or Lord or boss. I don't like it when people say I need to speak to the boss. Right. It's a demeaning term when it comes to God. Yes. Yes. He's not your boss. That's not what Lord is. Lord is a term of authority. It is a recognition of someone being immensely greater than you. And never forget what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, where it says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Holy Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now it's not just the words Lord that is speaking of here. It's talking about words of faith coming out of someone's mouth in confession. There's an actual belief supporting the statement. Now, this woman knew something, although she was a Gentile. She knew something about Jesus that made a real difference in her ability to truly approach Him with expectation and faith in who He was. Her faith was not in deliverance. Her faith was in His willingness. Based on who He was. She's wanting deliverance for her daughter. But the thing that makes her persistent in her faith is her knowledge about what she's come to believe about his character yes. and nature. Yes. That's determining her determination and persistence. Oh, that all would know the Lord like this Gentile woman. Who believed she could approach a good God in a very dire situation in her life and be met by the character she's come to believe concerning Him. Goodness, loving kindness, willingness. Ability, mercy, 
faith. Undeserved faith. There's no way you could say, yes, Lord, your statement is true. In this moment, I'm at your feet like a little dog. Ill time, Gentile, not Jew. There's nothing truer than what you just said. But even the little dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And even the crumbs from the table carry the favor of God upon them. Yes, They carry the favor of God on them. Think about that. Jesus is so moved by this level of faith. When he's talking about her faith, he's not talking about something she drum up. He's talking about how convinced she's become of who he is and what the Father is like. He came to show us the Father. She's believing the report he has given concerning the Father. And because she has done this, she is persistent. She's there. She's humble. She's not, she's not rejected. She's not put off. She's not offended by what he says. It's a factual statement. Yes. And she gets what she was there for. Amen. See, the Gentiles weren't to be brought in until Jesus had ascended, the Holy Spirit had come, and the disciples were released to advance the kingdom in the earth. That's why I say this is a precursor lesson that if they'll pay attention, they should be getting that this thing is going to go to the Gentiles. What I've come to offer is not exclusive to the Jews. Thus his statement to the disciples right now. I am sent to the house of Israel. To the lost sheep of the house of Israel is what I was sent here for. My tenure on this earth is to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But guess what? The time is coming. When the tabernacle of David will be unleashed on the earth. It is not worship music. It is the inclusion of the Gentiles into the kingdom of God. Equal footing. Children, just as the Jews were children, we are children. We're brought in, adopted as sons and daughters, made new creations in Christ. This is a precursor lesson. It's also a lesson of how Powerful the favor of God is even in the crumbs that fall from the master's table. If you've been invited to sit at the table, saints, you're getting a plate full of what this woman just got a crumb of and it was enough to deliver her daughter from the demons. What are you dealing with today? Because you've got more than crumb favor working on your behalf. Oh, come on. Somebody's got to get excited. I mean, come on. You've got more than just a mere crumb favor working on your behalf. What struggle are you in? What situation are you facing? What dire scenario is trying to play out in your life right now? Or in the life of someone that you deeply care about, like this woman deeply cared for her daughter. She got a crumbs, a crumbs measure of the favor of God and got home and found her daughter free. You're eating platefuls at the master's table. Oh, if you can get this. If you can just get this. (laughs) 
There's a lot we can take away from this story today that will greatly help us if we'll just allow the Holy Spirit to show it to us. To show it to us. When David showed up to face Goliath, he didn't go there to face Goliath. He went there to take some cheese and bread to his brother. Right. Who rejected him, by the way? Right. Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing here? Yeah. Have you come to spy? <laughs> They're accusing him of everything he's not up to. But he overhears what's playing out. And what he knows to be true about his God rises up inside him. See, when you get in tough situations, what it's going to reveal is what has been allowed to be determined within you concerning your God. What have you come to know about your God? Who is your Father? Who is your Lord and Savior? Who is a friend who sticks closer than a brother? Who is your high priest and mediator? Who is your intercessor? Who is your shepherd and you're a sheep? Who is not like a hireling, but laid his life down for you? What you've come to know about him will determine how you respond or react to a dire situation. To troubles. In this world you shall have troubles, tribulations. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. The one who has overcome the world lives in you. He lives in you. Your life is not the sum of all your possessions. Your life is not the sum of what's in your bank account. Your life is not the sum of what you get in with four wheels to drive. Yes. Lord Jesus. Your life is not the sum of how many friends you have on social media. Come on. Your life is so much more than that. Like I shared about the bounty and sufficiency of God's favor in all our situations last week, we're now discovering that someone who's not even supposed to be in the picture yet would receive what she needed desperately of the favor of God because she believed rightly concerning Him. Get the image of Him right in your thinking. I can't stress that enough. Even more than getting your own image right. Get the image of Him right. In your thinking. Get to know Him. As Christ has revealed Him. You're not going to get a right view of the Father listening to the religious leaders in the gospel. You're not going to get a right view of the Father listening to somebody who's got so much mixture of law and grace in their life, they're practically spiritually bipolar. You're not going to get the right view from that. You need to do your own investigation into who He is. Look at how Jesus showed Him to be. Everything that Jesus did, he saw his father doing. Everything that Jesus spoke, he heard his father speaking. He didn't speak out of turn. He didn't act out of turn. Are you hearing me? Yes. So people came to him needing deliverance. They got deliverance. Isn't that funny? Yes. 
People came to him needing healing. They got healing. Disciples were all anxious and tore up about the tax coming up. They didn't have the money. He said, hey, we got some fishermen among us. Go down there and throw a hook in the water and catch a fish. Reach in his mouth and pull out the coin. That's the exact amount we need to pay. Why? Because if you don't pay the tax, you're in trouble. Are you hearing how Jesus is doing? In fact, the testimony of Scripture about Jesus is he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He came to show the devil that his time was up. His time is running out. Can you find a blind man that got turned away? Can you find a deaf man that got turned away? Can you find a lame man who got turned away? Widows got their children raised from the dead. That's what the Father is like. And when the religious came to try to oppress Jesus for his practice and his words, he would say, you're not of my Father. Why? Your behavior and what you're saying right now is so out of step with who the Father is. You are of your Father, the devil, who's a liar. And the father of lies. Yes. Boy, that upset him. But Jesus is making it clear. Let's get this record straight. What you see me doing is the heart of the father. You see me healing people. That's the heart of the father. You see me raising the dead. That's the heart of the father. You see me showing mercy on the deaf. That's the heart of the father. You see me feeding the multitudes who are starving and hungry. That's the heart of the father. That's the heart of the Father. Is that the Father you've come to know? Or have you gotten the Western Christianity version? The bipolar Father. Who depending on what kind of day he just had, with the manifold millions and billions he has to deal with daily, you just happen to be one in the last rank of numbers on that particular day with your issue, and he may not be in the kind of mood that he wants to hear about. You need to give him his space. You need to recognize just how holy he is and how you shouldn't be bothering him with this. Sounds silly, doesn't it? But that's exactly what it is. Absolutely silly. He loves you with an everlasting love. He's given His promise in His Word to care for you. Jesus made sure that He gave a promise to keep you, sustain you, uphold you. That's why He could say, in this world, you're going to have these issues play out. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's not a statement saying you need to get your act more together right. and get a little more spiritual and a little less worldly. Right. Oh, we could all deal with a dose of that. But that's not the point. The point is, is that everything the world can throw at you, I've taken it. I overcame it. And I'm about to come dwell in you. You've got this. You've got this. Come on, i got to be encouraging somebody to play today. What this story tells me is that even the crumbs from the master's table come with tremendous favor. When we know him as we are meant to, it unlocks a greater faith that is able to receive from him according to who he is, as opposed to just something we want. A lot of people have experienced discouragement because they didn't come to him in faith of who he is. 
They came to him in faith that if they said the right thing, yeah. he would be forced to act outside of himself and do what they wanted. See, that's like putting the quarter in the gumball machine for the jumbo-sized jawbreaker gumball. That's how a lot of Christians approach him. They don't approach him from the relationship. I, I know what you're like. I know who Jesus showed me you were. I am so convinced of it. I'm coming boldly right now before this throne of grace to get the help, the mercy to help in this time of my need. Who are you going to run to? See, the Israelites coming up out of Egypt, their attitude and their belief system is what led to them. Their first response to every situation was complaint. Let's go back to Egypt. At least they had leeks and this and that and that and that. Eating heavenly bread and complaining about it. The, the food of angels. That what little allotment you got was enough to sustain you and give you the energy you needed for that day and carry you and, and not make you fat. I could do with a little of that. They had that. I mean, think about this. Here, the Israelites, they witnessed the sea part. They saw the pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day. Cloud by day to shadow them from the heat of the desert sun. Fire by night to keep them from the freeze of the desert night. Desert nights are cold. They've been fed the manna. They've gotten water from a rock. They've had bitter waters turn sweet. They had been given quail because they complained and wanted meat. They had seen themselves, their sandals hadn't worn out. Cecil B. DeMille doesn't get it right. Scripture clearly testifies that their sandals never worn out, wore out in the journey, which is something unheard of. I mean, that's a brutal situation to be on foot that kind of journey in those kind of conditions and have your sandals. How many of you would like to get a pair of shoes that would last like that? Especially with what they cost nowadays. They've got that going for them. They've seen when enemies attack them that their enemies are defeated. But they still weren't getting who he was. They get to the edge of the promised land and what do they say? No, there's no way that we could go in and take that. There's those giants over there. And only Joshua and Caleb would say, if the Lord has said he's promised this to us, those giants are nothing before us. Why? Because God will fight for us. What is the mountain before you? What is the giant in your situation? What is the thing telling you that what God said is yours can't be? The only way you'll overcome that is to get a clear idea of who He is in your life. Make sure it's consistent with who Jesus reveals. Let's wrap this up. When we know Him like we're meant to, it unlocks a greater faith that's able to receive from Him according to who He is, not according to, to something that we want. It, it, he has not called us saints to faith in things but rather faith in Him and in His goodness. Yes. And when we walk in that kind of faith, even His crumbs bring tremendous favor into our situations. Even His crumbs bring tremendous favor. Now, you're not a crumb eater. You're not a crumb cruncher. If you've come to know Jesus Christ, you've been born again, you're not a crumb cruncher. You're a full meal at the table of the Savior eater. You've been invited to die. And he set a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Why? So he can just show off how completely loved you are. 
How completely cared for you are. Hey, come on. Somebody get this this morning. I'm telling you something that's so incredible. It ought to send you through the roof. The favor that you have received from God by being in Christ is so absolutely, staggeringly amazing. You know, I know some of you ain't got it because you can just look at me. I put this stuff together and I'm sitting there. I'm trembling. I'm literally trembling at my desk. Overwhelmed in a moment by the Holy Spirit about how good my Father really is. He's your Father too. And He is for you, not against you. You think He gives attention to everything else going on out there? I mean, and He ignores you? There's just no way. You're not ignored. You're not a second class kid. Come on. Somebody's got to get encouraged off of this today. Maybe they're online. I don't know. You're online, you're getting encouraged. Shout out a hallelujah on text, on the message. Pondering it, savoring it. Okay. Hey, this is the time to say amen. I did a whole message on that one time. Remember? Amen just simply means so be it. How many of you want this? There you go. You want it, say it. How many of you want the kind of revelation of God that Jesus came to set right? How many of you want to know God the way Jesus revealed Him and not a way that a bunch of high-minded, highly intellectual, bipolar people want to present Him all the time? But hear it from somebody who actually has a real relationship with Him and has come to know Him according to His goodness. And experience that yourself. Come on! I've been in this journey now for decades. Yes. And all I can tell you is, is despite what everybody's tried to tell me over the years about how one day he'll be one way and one day he'll be another, even in my absence of being able to know, I've seen his goodness over and over and over and over again. It just keeps coming. It keeps coming. How good is your God? How big is your God? How faithful is your God? How kind is your God? How merciful is your God? Instead of getting all hung up on the punishment of our God, which is the few and far between moments of your life. He will bring correction into your life. When you're seeing Him wrongly, He'll, he'll seek to train you and equip you and, and steer you the right way to see it right. Just like we do with our kids. But I don't think any of you, when your kids get it wrong, just take them in the room, you've got it soundproof so nobody can hear what's going on. And you just beat the daylights out of them. But believe it or not, the, the number of Christians that are alive today that believe that way about God is staggering. It's staggering. And because they lean that way, the idea, the concept of what I'm talking about, they would like to call me a heretic. Just like they call Jesus. So I'm in good keeping. How many of you ready to see God revealed the way Jesus revealed? Would you stand your feet? I'll get you out of here so you can catch the lunch traffic from the baptistry. Oh, we have a good God, folks. A good, good God. 
Father, I just thank you this morning that Jesus came to set the record straight about who you are and what you are like. And we look at all that Jesus, as your son did, and, and we see how kind you are. We see how compassionate you are. We see how gracious you are. We see how willing to favor you are. We see mercy and operation. And in fact, John would testify that there were not enough books in all the world to record the wonderful things that Jesus did. And you're still doing wonderful things in our lives. So Father, I bring every situation that's afoot in this this gathering today, whether it's people online or people present. Lord, I ask you to, through the Holy Spirit, bring revelation of your true character and nature and your true attitude toward us. Lord, let each one see it, let each one receive it, and let their faith grow in the, in the area of knowing you so that they can grow in their willingness and their boldness and coming before the throne of grace to get mercy that's stored up there, ready to help in their time to need. Lord, let everyone tap in to your goodness. Let everyone tap in to knowing you aright. That's my prayer this morning. Holy Spirit, you're the one that takes it and makes it revelation. It's information until you make it revelation. So take what has been information here this morning and transform it into real working revelation in each and every heart. I pray in Jesus' name. You receive it? Amen. Amen. He's good. Looking forward to Neil being with us next Sunday. That's always.